0: All right as you take your seats, if you would, take your Bible and turn in that Bible to Acts chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, then get one of the Black Pew Bibles that's on the end of each pew, and on that Bible, it's on page 923. And we will be looking today at Acts fourteen twenty-three as we continue in... This is the second in what, what we're calling the Bible Blueprints for Church series of sermons. So we've taken a break from Romans for just a little bit so that we can talk about why it is that we would be trying to adopt a revised constitution, why it is that we would be trying to uh, appoint additional elders, laymen, to come and be elders with me together of this church. Um, And uh, this is because God has given us blueprints in the Bible for how he wants us to build up his church. Uh, we want to submit to the Scripture together. You hear that? We, we want to submit ourselves to the Word of God. Now, in, in some ways, when we're talking about, well, this is, this is how things ought to be done as far as the leadership structure, and this is what pastors are, this kind of thing. Now, for some of you, this is a very exciting topic. You love this. For others, you're saying, when are we going to get back to Romans? All right. But I want to tell you the reason we're doing this, and I, I tried my best to lay this out from 1 Corinthians 3 last week, the reason we're taking this time uh, to, to do this series on church leadership and what that ought to look like is because we want to worship God. And we want to worship God by submitting ourselves to what he has said. I, just, I want you to think about this this word worship. Some, sometimes you hear the word worship and you think it means that little set of songs that we do during part of this program that we do on Sunday mornings, okay, that is an incredibly important aspect of worship where we directly pour out our hearts to God with these words that we can sing together, that we're singing both as an encouragement to each other, uh, as the scripture says, that we are singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, uh, but also as, as this direct praise to God. Yes, that aspect of worship is important, but there is a symbolism that's intentional in churches like ours where we have the pulpit right in the middle and where we have the biggest chunk of our worship service time dedicated to the preaching of the Bible, where, where we see that our primary act of worship is where we would listen to what God says, not just to deliver to God what we would have to say to him, which is important, but to listen to what God says to us and to submit ourselves underneath what God would say in his word and to obey it, to see where his word would perhaps be different from what we think or what we speak or what we do, both as individuals and as a church, and to say, well, we want to do what God says. So the, the, my goal in preaching this sermon and in preaching these sermons in this series, uh, I'll tell you, my personal goal is to worship God Because we want to hear what God has said, we want to submit ourselves underneath his word as the inerrant, infallible word of God to us, to you personally, and to us together, the institution called First Baptist Church of Madawan. So let's see if we can do that. Let's see if we can look into the scripture, and we laid out last week the the, the basic idea that, that there are blueprints in the New Testament for how church ought to be organized and done. And so we're going to start looking at those now and seeing what are some of those specific designs that God would have for church. How can we submit ourselves underneath those things as an act of faithfulness, as an act of worship to our God? So uh, we've been talking at this church. Well, I'll tell you, I came here and the church called me to be pastor, uh, I guess about eight and a half years ago. And the first book of the Bible that I preached through was the book of Acts, which means that we've been talking about elders for about eight and a half years, because they come up pretty quickly in the book of Acts. So this is not a new concept to anybody. It ought not to be a new concept to you. But at the same time, when we're actually looking at doing something, it starts to feel a little different. We start to say, wait a second, I need to actually think through this. I need to know what we're doing. It's like the, the first time if you've ever been skiing, maybe you saw skiers on TV before, but then when you're actually standing at the top of the mountain and, and you're, you're buckling those, those, well, you don't buckle then, but you know, you're know you getting yourself ready to go down the mountain. You say, this is real. I have to actually think about what we're going to do. That's what we're doing, okay? So, so let's strap on our ski boots and let's say, what are we actually doing? And let's look at the Bible. Let's see the plan. Let's get into it. So Acts 14, and we're going to be mainly verse 23, but I'm going to go back and start at verse 21. Where we are right now is we are at the end of Paul's first missionary journey. It took place around the period of time somewhere between uh, A.D. 46 and 48. It was about two, maybe maybe up to three years long, this missionary journey that he had gone on together with Barnabas after they, two of the elders of the church in Antioch, had been sent out. Uh, by the congregation, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit to go on this missionary journey to plant churches in various cities around the Mediterranean. They are about to come back. That's where we get to right here. They are at the tail end of this church-planting missionary journey that has taken them the last couple of years. It says, uh, Acts 14, 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, that was the city of Derbe, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium And to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And then we get to our verse for today, verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You hear that when they had appointed elders for them in every church. When we are looking to see what are God's blueprints for the church in the New Testament, we want to know what are the direct commands of the New Testament and what are the examples of the New Testament. How does it directly say, do this? And then also, what was actually done by the apostles in the way that they followed the leadership of Christ in establishing these churches? We have in this verse an example here's what they did. They appointed elders for them in every church. And we have a very similar statement in Titus 1.5 that's more of a direct command, where Paul tells Titus, I left you in Crete so that you may put in order all of these things and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so we have commands. We have examples about that. But we need to think first of all about this question, what is an elder? When we say the word elder, what do we mean? Well, the word elder is talking about a pastor. It's talking about an overseer, or as in the King James, a bishop. Uh, It's talking about a leader of God's flock. So I, I, I want us to see this together, that there are these different terms in the New Testament that are talking about the same thing. There's the term pastor. There's the term overseer. There is the term elder even the term leader of a church; those are interchangeable words in the New Testament that are talking about the same office. So, what am I talking about? For now, I guess I'm kind of talking about myself because for now, I am the only elder at this church. Uh, the 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 reason that I am an elder here is because the congregation called me to be an elder here, and asked me and put me in that position. And so what we're suggesting is that we should do exactly what Paul and Barnabas did here in Acts 14, 23, to appoint elders, plural, in every church, singular. But what is an elder? Well, elder is, first of all, a pastor. If you're following along, there's, there's, a, there's an outline on the back of your bulletin. I hope you'll follow along with that. An elder is a pastor. Now, the word pastor, it, it means shepherd. You hear the word pastor, you can think of a pasture or a pastoral scene, right? If you paint a pastoral scene, it's this picture of an open field where sheep can go out and graze. And that's the idea, is a pastor is someone who would take care of God's flock. Here is how Jesus put it to Peter uh, the third time that he had appeared to his disciples after he rose from the dead in John twenty-one fifteen. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You hear that? Out of love for Christ, he is commissioned to go and love God's people. To be a shepherd underneath the great shepherd whose name is Jesus Christ. This is this is played out in Peter's ministry in places like Acts 6. In Acts 6, what was happening is that the church had gotten really big and there were lots of needs of lots of people and some of the widows in the church had begun to be neglected and it was falling along ethnic lines, which was even worse, and so it wasn't just that something wasn't getting done, but it was threatening this division within the church. Now, do you know what Peter said when he heard this, when he heard that there's this problem of certain members who are literally not being fed the food that they ought to be fed, did he take Jesus' words of feed my sheep and say, I have to stop pouring so much time into getting my sermons ready, and I need to start going around to everybody's houses with meals? He didn't say that. In fact, what he said was that we must not neglect the ministry of the word to serve tables. Now, serving tables was not unimportant. They appointed deacons to do that. We're going to talk next week about pastors and deacons and a little bit of the difference between those things and, and the qualifications for those things. It was an important thing for people to be physically fed, but the way that Peter took that command of Christ, feed my sheep, he said, we will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. He says, this is how Christ has commissioned us to feed his flock, to feed his sheep, is through the ministry of the word. That has to do with what I'm doing right now, preaching the Bible. It has to do with counseling. It has to do with evangelism. It has to do with teaching in small group settings. It has to do with taking the word of God and bringing it to God's people and feeding them and building them up to be more and more like Christ, to submit underneath his word, to be encouraged by the gospel, and to be called to follow God's, God's law, God's rules as well. Here's how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 5. He says, I exhort the elders among you. Now, there's something instructive right there, right? He's sending this letter to a church, and he tells them, there are elders among you, church, But he tells the elders, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. He says, elder, here is your task, pastor. These are interchangeable terms. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, an elder is a pastor, a shepherd. An elder is also an overseer. That's another term that's used in the Bible for the same office of the church. It could be elder, it could be pastor, it could be overseer. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul calls together the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he gives them this instruction pay careful attention to yourself. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, in the King James Version, that word overseers is translated bishops. So that's why in our statement of faith we have the word bishops, which looks really weird to people who are first reading that and saying, I thought this was a Baptist church. Why do we have bishops? Well, it just is a a different way to translate the word that means overseer. What is that saying? Well, the elders slash pastors are to be overseers, to oversee the affairs of the church, to lead. And that brings us to the next word that's used, which is a leader. An elder is a leader. It says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. this is an instruction to church members, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you but he calls them leaders, those who would set a path, have a plan, have the direction, know where to go. It's indicated also in 1 Timothy 3.5 where it says if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So that leadership, it has to do with managing things, overseeing the way that things go. Now in the scriptures, we have this picture of certain things that are given to the congregation to vote on, and that is absolutely there. You see that in Matthew 18 where church discipline ultimately before someone is removed from membership it has to come to a congregational vote. That's just the way that Jesus put it. He did not say have the elders do it. He said have the church do it. Bring it to the church. We we have also uh, this, this, this charge that uh, the congregation ought to uh, be involved in, in voting on the installation of, uh, of elders and deacons, of the officers of the church. We'll get to that in just a second. And I'm going to talk more in a totally different sermon about the role of the congregation together with the elders. But, but think of it this way, and I've heard Mark Dever use this, uh, this analogy a couple of times, and you've probably heard me use it before, that when we look at the commands and the examples of the New Testament, about the congregation and the elders you've got the the congregation's hand that is placed by God on the emergency brake in case anything starts to go off the rails and the elders are no longer following after the gospel well the congregation can pull that emergency brake if it needs to but the steering wheel the leadership of the church is given to the elders slash pastors slash overseers. That's what we're getting at here. They oversee, they lead. It is normal and expected for the congregation to obey its leaders, not because they are lording it over them, but because they would be following after Christ. Now, an elder, uh, we need to think about that word elder too, right? Does it mean that an elder has to be elderly? Well, an elder might be elderly. That's okay, Some elders are elderly. I plan to get elderly personally. That's up to God, but we'll see, right? But the word elder in the Bible is not talking about the age of the person. It it is related to that sort of uh, but it's a general term that just has to do with leadership over a group of people. So you see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the way that things were done in the synagogues uh, in, in Jesus' day. And you see it carrying over into the churches of the New Testament as well. It's a general term for a leader. But the one thing that it does mean as far as, as maturity is that there must be spiritual maturity that's involved. An elder, when it says the word elder, it does not mean that somebody has to be mature in their age but they'd have to be mature in their faith so it says in first timothy 3 6 he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil he's saying just because somebody who was an elder in a synagogue converts to faith in christ you don't then automatically make them an elder in the church that same day You wait and you see for them growing in their faith in Christ, maturing in Christ, so that Paul can say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul did not say to Timothy, wait until you get out of your 30s before you become an elder. No, he said, Timothy, you may be young in your age, but behave yourself in a way that is mature and an example in your faith. Let no one despise you for your youth, but instead set an example for the flock. One of the things that that tells all church members, too, is don't despise each other for your youth. If, if we appoint an elder who is young, don't say, well, I'm not going to follow his direction. Instead, don't despise him for his youth, but look to him in his speech his conduct, his love, his faith, his purity, and as he is imitating Christ, in those ways, imitate him, regardless of your age or his age. That, by the way, is a thing to just carry over in general. Don't look down on your brothers and sisters in Christ because they are young or because they are old or anything in between, but instead look to see how they're following after Christ. Where you see them following after Christ, consider that to be an example to be followed. So what I'm trying to get across in this little section of what I'm telling you is this. An elder is a leader of the church. The word pastor, elder, overseer, they are interchangeable in the New Testament. We're talking about different words for one office. It's the office that at this point, I'm the only person in the church who holds it, but we're trying to change that. That's the idea. And then that's what, that's what it says next. What we're going to look at is the idea that this is in every church. So it says in, in Acts 14 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Look at that. It says elders, plural, in every church, singular. Okay? Now, there's something very similar in Titus 1 5. The command that Paul gives to Titus to appoint elders, plural, in every town, singular. Now keep in mind back then there was one church in town, that's it. You didn't like go to this church because you like their children's program and then go to this church because you like this and then, or just say, well, I, I don't like the way that Miss, Miss Sally treated me so I'm going to go over to the Methodist church in Ephesus. No, there was one church, all right? And there were to be elders in that church in every town. Now, you could, and some have over time said, well, maybe when it says elders plural for every church singular, maybe that grammar is not all that significant. Maybe it's just saying, well, there's lots of churches, and if there's one elder in every church, well, that's lots of elders too. I guess that's one way that you could read it, but there's more of the New Testament too. We, We can go and we can see the examples of how this worked in every church, where it is the standard thing in every church in the New Testament that there are to be plural, not just singular, but plural elders, plural pastors. You see this in Acts 20, where Paul called together, Acts 20:17, he says he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, plural, of the church, singular, to come to him. You see this in Philippians 1.1, where Paul writes, it says, to the saints who are in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. You see there, there are multiple overseers in Philippi, multiple overseers in Ephesus. And that seems to be the same thing, it says here, in every church, every town. Now, was there ever be a time when there's just one pastor in a church? Yes, yes. And in the New Testament, that would typically be when the church is brand new, has just been planted. Maybe Paul has just come there and he's doing what he says he did in Corinth, building the foundation, getting it started so that then others, he says, can come and build on the foundation of Christ. But it seems to be a temporary thing. Where, where, yeah, maybe for a time, one elder is all there could be, but, but when those situations arose, they did something about it. Let me give you just one example. This is from back from Acts 11. Barnabas had been sent to the church in Antioch. We have this, just this beautiful thing that God did in his providence where he took the, the persecution that happened in Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen... And and people began to be scattered. These believers were scattering out of Jerusalem. And it says that some of those who were scattered, they went to Antioch and they preached the gospel. And all of these Gentiles in Antioch started to come to faith in Jesus. And and they got a church together. And at first, even though they had a church of believing people, they had no pastor there. And so the, the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to go up there and to be their pastor. And for a time, Barnabas was the only pastor, but do you know what it says in Acts 11 that he did? It says in Acts eleven twenty-five. so Barnabas went to Tarsus for, to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. So he actually said to his church, I need to go on a trip, because I need to go recruit Saul, who we also know as Paul, to come back and be a pastor with me here. So it was a temporary situation that they remedied. And then by the time you get to Acts 13, it's not even just two elders, they're up to five, and all of their names are listed in Acts 13, 1. And as they had done that, God then set apart their first two elders, their first two pastors, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which he had appointed them, which was the missionary work that they're on now when we get to Acts 14. Isn't that interesting? But here's the idea. Every church was given multiple elders, if at all possible. And when they didn't have that, they were trying to have that. They were praying. They were asking God, would you please help us? Would you please raise people up? Would you please send people in? Would you please qualify men who can be elders, pastors over this church? Now, what does it mean when you have multiple elders? This is a practical question that's come up a lot. Ever since we first started seeing together all those years ago in the book of Acts that there were multiple elders in each church, I've been getting this question. The question goes something like this. Can we afford to hire another pastor? Do we need to buy another house to have a second parsonage if we're going to have another elder? Well, what we see in the Bible is that not every elder has the same kind of work even though they would all have the same authority they, they would all together have the same authority we, we should say that there, there's multiple elders and it says in Acts 20 that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers he doesn't say this guy who works full-time is more of an overseer than the, the part-time guy who is a little bit more of an overseer than the lay elder no he says the Holy Spirit has made you overseers he, he tells the church in, in Hebrews 13, obey your leaders. He doesn't say obey that leader more than you obey that leader and that leader. He says obey your leaders. So there there's is what would we call a parity among the elders. They're supposed to be equal in authority. So that when the elders have their elders meeting and they need to vote together on some important issue, the, the guy who has eldering as his full-time job does not get like three votes as compared to the other guy who gets one vote or something like that. There, there is a, a similarity, a, a parity in their authority. But there's differing work. There's differing work, and you see this in First Timothy 5.17. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, that double honor, well, all that it says there, I'm not going to exposit that whole verse, but I just want, to, want you to see this, that it, it talks about the elders who are ruling, who are leading in the church, that within that group, there are some who labor in preaching and teaching. You know what that means? There are some who have it as their job to be a pastor. There are others who don't. And so there is, there is a, a differing level of work here. Some, some men, by the call of God and the direction in their lives, he, he, he will call them to have this as their vocation, to say, you need to go to seminary. Spend years of your life in hard training. Learn the biblical languages. Do what it takes in order to make this your vocation and calling in life so that the churches can then come together and co-labor and support him. And And let him have that as his calling in life, but there's others who are going to be called of God to lead the church as pastors, as elders who will not leave their secular work, who, who are going to remain in their regular jobs, their secular vocations, and they're going to also though come and help to shepherd the flock of God together that's that's right there in first Timothy five seventeen. All of these leaders are ruling well, but some of them have it as their labor, as their job. So all of these men will have equal authority, and it it is acceptable and biblical and practically necessary to have different levels of work. Those who don't have it as their job, it's going to be necessary that they don't take on quite as many responsibilities as the guy who has it as his job, and yet they together are going to be elders. So you can just kind of call this, the the terms that usually are used for this are vocational elder, which describes the, the role that, or I guess I should say the job that I have, and then lay elder, which is essentially what we are looking at right now. Now maybe one day down the road, God would bless us and grow us and give us the resources where we could hire others who would also be vocational elders? Who would also be uh, have it as their job to be pastors of this church? But for now, what we're looking at is not hiring anybody; it is appointing laymen to be uh, elders together with me. Now, within that, it is normal within the Bible, and it's practical, and it's just right here in Acts and elsewhere in Scripture that it's normal to have one of those elders who is the main preacher, okay? Now, how, what, what, do you, what do you call this? I don't know. Senior pastor sounds like he has more authority, and that's not really the case, but sometimes it's hard to come up with a, a different term. But you see this in the Bible. So, for example, in, in Acts, uh, there, there were started out in, in Jerusalem with 12 elders in the church of Ephesus. Or, excuse me, the church of Jerusalem. There we go. 12 elders, but on the day of Pentecost, when somebody needed to, to stand up and give the sermon, you know who it was? It was Peter. And, and that, that pattern kept on going as long as Peter was there and serving as a pastor of the church in Jerusalem. That Peter was the main spokesman, the main preacher of the church in Jerusalem. Then Peter left Jerusalem, and James, the brother of Jesus, who had been appointed as an elder of the church by then in Jerusalem, he then became the main spokesman, the main preacher in the church in Jerusalem. You you see this in other places too. We already saw in Acts 20 that, that within Ephesus there were multiple elders. Paul could call them together and have a meeting together with the elders of the church in Ephesus. But within the church in Ephesus there was one guy who was the main preacher and his name was Timothy. That's why you have the, 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 the books of First and Second Timothy in the Bible. It's because Paul addressed those pastoral epistles specifically to Timothy in the church in, in Ephesus and then to Titus in his church there in Crete as well. So, uh, and you have Timothy giving, being given this charge, preach the word in season and out of season. Do the work of an evangelist. So it's normal, it's expected that, that one of these elders within the church will be the main preacher even as all of them need to be capable of delivering a trustworthy sermon, an expository sermon of, of Scripture. They need to be able to teach, it says in 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.9. But some elders are mainly going to carry out their ministry of the Word in ways other than being the primary Sunday morning preacher. Some are going to be carrying out the ministry of the Word mainly in counseling, mainly in evangelism, mainly in visitation, mainly in teaching in small group settings, even as you would eventually see each of those elders get up to the pulpit sometime or another. So within these plural elders in a single church, you have equal authority but differing levels of work, differing kinds of work even, depending on uh, the giftings of God. Now what did they do? Well, they appointed, Look, you, you, you still got Acts 14.23 open, right? Okay, good. Look what it says. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Here's what they did. They looked for those who were biblically qualified. And with prayer and with fasting, they would consider those biblical qualifications to be God-given and the congregation to recognize that. And with that prayer and fasting to set them apart for this service. You need to know that the word appointed in Acts 14, 23 was not the apostles, was not Paul and Barnabas just saying, you, you are an elder in this church, and therefore everybody else, we just made him an elder, you get down on your knees and, and bow down to the elder. No, that, that's not how this worked. That word appointed It actually means something more like appointed by congregational vote. Now, you say to yourself, where do you get that in the text? Well, that's what the word means. It is this word that means appointed by the raising up of hands. You may say to yourself, well, the pastor's just pulling stuff out of midair. The pastor's just reaching into that black box of Greek and showing me something that I could never possibly get out of the text of Scripture. Well, you can get it from the text of Scripture, in part by the example that's in Acts 6, of how that appointment took place when they were appointing deacons. It says that they called together the whole congregation. They instructed the congregation, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, laid out the qualifications, and then the congregation brought these seven men, and the the, the apostles, the elders of the church, then laid their hands on them and appointed them to that service. So it was by congregational vote is built into the word as well. The the word meaning congregational vote for appointment is how the Second London Confession of 1677 or 1689, that's how it interprets it. It's how historic Baptist leaders like Nehemiah Cox back in the 1600s in England interpreted it. That is how Reformation scholars who were not Baptists interpreted it, like Theodore Beza and John Calvin, It's how the English translations of the Bible that came before the King James Version interpreted it. The Great Bible and the Geneva Bible both inserted in this verse the sense of that word that it was by a vote. It is how a Catholic scholar like Erasmus took that word. It's how the great Puritan scholar John Owen took it. It's how the many of the church fathers all the way back into centuries past, like Gregory of Nazianzus, is how they took that word. John Owen says this, he says that it means to ordain elders in the churches by their election and suffrage. Suffrage means a vote, right? For for the word they're used will admit of no other sense, however it be ambiguously expressed in our translation. Get, Get this, even the Presbyterians who got together in the 1640s and wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith, they put in their notes of that assembly, they said this the word here used in the Greek originally signifieth such a choice as was made by the lifting of hands to signify suffrages and consents. Okay? Here's here's my point. They didn't just say, You be an elder. There was a vote. The congregation needs to recognize together, here are those who are qualified to be our pastors, to be our leaders. John Calvin said this, he said, not that they alone in authoritative manner appointed pastors which churches, the churches had neither approved nor known, but they ordained fit men who had been chosen or desired by the people. He said, Paul does not give permission to Titus that he alone may do everything in this matter of appointing elders and may place over the churches who he thinks fit to be overseers, but only bids him to preside as a moderator at the elections, which is quite necessary. Now, that's pretty dry stuff there, isn't it? But we need to know this. We need to know this is how the Bible lays it out. This is the blueprint of the New Testament. We need to look to see who has God given by his spirit the necessary biblical qualifications and to say, "This is for my good. I am a sheep. I have the great shepherd Jesus Christ." But part of how he has ordained to shepherd and care for my soul is through these under-shepherds. Guys, that stuff I just told you, where you zoned out when I was quoting John Calvin, this is about the care of your soul. This is about your walk with Jesus for your coming months and years and decades. This is about... Who's going to do your funeral service? The, the, this stuff here, this matters for you personally. Okay? And, and, and this is the gift of God by his blueprints to say, here is how I want to care for my sheep. This is good. This is a personally applicable and gift, gifted, uh, applicable thing to you and a gift from God that we need to think seriously. How are we going to do this? Because I want my soul to be cared for. I want my family to be cared for. I want my community to be evangelized. I want to operate under the Lordship of Jesus according to His blueprints as He has laid out. That's why it says there, they didn't just do this. You know how sometimes you you really need somebody to volunteer for something and so you just make some phone calls? We do this all the time in church, you know. We need somebody who can help, you know, help set up the table at Matawan Day. Okay, let's make some phone calls until we get somebody who can do it. That's one thing. You don't do that for elders. (laughs) You don't just say, let's make some phone calls and see who's willing to do it. You don't just say, well, here's somebody who seems like a nice guy. Here's somebody who seems like he's got a lot of business leadership qualities. Here's somebody who was an elder at another church. Here's somebody who this, that, that. No, we we need, it says here, with prayer and fasting. Taking this so seriously, going to the Lord, cutting food out of your life, literally, for a time, because it is so serious. Have any of you yet, maybe you have, maybe you've just seen this in the scripture and you've just done it. Have any of you yet fasted with this question who is it that God would raise up to be elders of First Baptist Church of Madawan? It's worth doing. It's worth taking a day without food just to, to commit yourself to prayer for this. Who's going to help shepherd my soul and my family? With prayer and fasting, it says, they set them apart to be, to be in this role. When it says, it, it says they, they set them apart or they committed them to the Lord... It's saying that they were established by the church in that role. You need to know that the role of an elder is not a lifetime thing. Okay. There's no indication in the scripture that because somebody has been set in the role of pastor, that they are a pastor no matter what happens for the rest of their lives. Okay, That concept comes out of Catholicism where somebody is made a priest, and even if there are lots and lots of reasons that come out later why they ought not to be a priest, there's just nothing they can do about it after that. They made them a priest, and they just are one. That's not what the Bible shows. Okay, The Bible shows that being an elder or a pastor of a church is a role. It is a serving role. It, 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 it's not like, like being knighted or given this title of nobility or something like that that you carry with you for the rest of, the life, of your life. Guys, if tomorrow you guys decided that I was a heretic and that because of my denial of the gospel that you needed to remove me as pastor, for one thing, good for you. That's what the Bible tells you to do. But at that point, I would no longer be a pastor. (laughs) I would be a guy who has, you know, certain theological training, who has a certain history, but what a pastor is, what an elder is, it's somebody that the church has called and put in this role and is serving in that role actively by the will of the church, caring for the souls of the church in the office of elder. It's a role of service. It's not a title of identity, but it's something that we need to care for our souls. And it says they committed them to the Lord. It's not as though they are committed just to doing a job, just to you know making sure that things work in an efficient manner in the church, they are committed to the Lord. That's why Peter said, and we read this earlier, 1 Peter 5, 4, when he says this to the elders, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. These are to be men who are operating not under a hierarchy of bishops that would go up to an archbishop or something like that, but operating under the authority of Christ. Uh, Being committed to the Lord, the Master of us, who are slaves of righteousness, and thereby in freedom, because Jesus is our Lord, we are committed to the Lord, in whom they had believed. Now, those those last words of of Acts fourteen twenty three. These are not throwaway words. Faith in Jesus Christ is the starting point, and faith in Jesus Christ is the ending point. That's what it says in Romans 1, that that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Faith is the beginning, faith is the end. When you're thinking of who is it that ought to be an elder of this church, it has to be somebody who has been set apart by God with the gift of faith and has faith being committed to the Lord in whom they had believed as their goal. It needs to be where you are. You, personally, you need to be founded on the rock of Christ, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And you need to be led by men who love Jesus and have their feet on the rock of Jesus and are committed to the Lord in whom they have believed and in calling others to that same faith in Jesus. We need men who will, as it says in 2 Timothy 4, preach the word being committed to the faith. We need men who, as it says in that same chapter, will do the work of an evangelist, calling people to faith. We need men who would say together with Paul in 1 Corinthians nine sixteen, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you need to be led by shepherds who are committed to the Lord in whom they have believed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the designs by your will for your church in your scriptures. I pray that by your grace, by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, that you would lead us as individuals and lead us as a church to do your will, to submit in worship underneath your word. God, I pray that you would raise up and help us to identify those who are biblically qualified by your power, by your spirit, by your gifts and graces to be elders and to shepherd our souls. God, I pray that you would raise up men who would shepherd my soul and my family. God, I pray that you would conform us to the image of Christ and in part do that by conforming our church to the blueprints of the New Testament. Father, I pray for those, maybe they are are here today and their faith is not in Jesus, Father, we don't want to simply convince people of a right way to do church. We want to convince people to come to the foundation, who is Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, maybe by your spirit you have convicted people of their failure to take your word seriously, their, their lostness in their own way of doing things. God, I pray that you would grant repentance. I pray that you would grant faith. I pray that you would build your kingdom by bringing people in. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.